0: Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of August 30th, 2022, and officially, episode number 526. And this is your host, as always, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at paranormalking.com. And uh, I'm back from a two-week hiatus. Uh, not my choice. It was uh, work-related, working me to uh, pretty much to death here, six days a week. 12, 15-hour days, so yeah, I'm on vacation this week. Uh, wanted to drive down to Florida to watch that launch. Good thing I didn't. I had a feeling that uh, what happened on Monday was going to happen anyway, so I saved my ticket. I've got a ticket to ride on that thing, but I don't think they're going to honor it. I don't think they're going to let me ride on that. I offered. I said, hey, you know, you can leave one of those dummies on the launch pad and, and put me in there in its place. I mean, I'm, I could fit in as a dummy. No problem. I'd love to uh, fly around the moon. That'd be a lot of fun. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they need to iron out what's going on with uh, with their that Engine 3 thing. It's making me a little nervous. But at least they didn't blow it up on the launch pad. And uh, we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, we got a, a little bit of news to catch up on from the last Three weeks. Yes, it's, uh, it took two weeks off, but that gives you a whole another week. It's technically three weeks, and you'd think that it would make it easier to um, uh, put together a show, but it actually, kind of makes it harder because then you're you're looking at a lot of stories. You're wondering how they're going to develop, and sometimes they just end up on the cutting room floor. So you only have an hour. I don't want to don't want to do just snippets. Uh, talk about one thing for 20 seconds, move on to the next story. Uh, so a lot of stuff kind of fell to the wayside. A lot of stuff I thought was going to be really interesting. So far has turned out not to be and um, really kind of a letdown, which uh, I guess you'll have that anyway with the paranormal, but we've got a lot of cryptid news. It seems like it's just the year of the cryptid, even though uh, I guess UFOs are pretty big, but um, like a lot of cryptid news this year. And of course, It's almost September to be September in just a couple of days, which is kind of crazy. It it just seems like it's just years just gone flying by, Um, probably making up for 2020. But, uh, yeah, September. Then, of course, right around the corner is October. The silly season is pretty much upon us here for the paranormal and will all be in demand. This is when we all – anyone involved in the paranormal is either asked to – uh, to speak at a library or to uh, do interviews or whatever. Uh, of course, you got to be relevant. And I haven't published a book in five years, so I'm not relevant anymore. But I do have, uh, well, so far, one. I haven't gone out of my way this year to uh, try to get anything anyway, but I was invited to a library down in Westerville, Ohio. Uh, Granted, it's kind of a weird topic. I usually let them choose whatever you know they want because I don't really doesn't bother bother me. I like to change subjects. I don't like to talk about the same thing every year. But they have a uh, a theme this year. Uh, They did it last year. It's about wizards, wizards and wands. So uh, I have to uh, tie in wizards. And ghosts, which is going to be tough, but I think I've got a way to do it, and uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm excited for it, uh, to get uh, some hopefully younger people interested in the ghost field and get them interested in the paranormal uh, beyond what they see on TV. So uh, we'll see how that works out. Um, Question to Chad, did you you do UFOs yet? Uh, Writing a book? Yeah, I wrote uh, my second to last book. That was, what, 2015? Handbook for the Amateur UFO Investigator. Pretty good book, I think. Uh, talk about UFOs. On the odd occasion, I was the keynote speaker at the Kexville UFO Festival a few years back. Uh, love talking about UFOs. People get really, really into it. Uh, the audience, you got to be careful what you say because you get to see them get all upset. Uh, if you say anything negative uh, or especially Roswell. I don't talk about Roswell anymore because... Man, people are so opinionated about it, Uh, even though there's a lot of information that goes against it. People uh, get very, very upset about it. But I enjoy talking about any paranormal topic, uh, especially UFOs, because it deals with space, uh, deals with uh, a lot of technology. And believe it or not, if you had to ask which one of the three paranormal topics – ghosts, cryptozoology, or UFO research – Uh, Do we have an advantage of technology in, honestly, I would say UFOs. We have an abundance of technology uh, from weather to radar to, uh, you know, satellite tracking and uh, all sorts of, of things that we're always watching our atmosphere. We have, you know, flight track information. We know pretty much anything and everything that's flying around up there and we're constantly watching it. So, You don't get that with ghosts, you don't get that in the woods with cryptids, so I think there's a major advantage to that. Granted, we've heard a lot of these experts talking about uh, creating specific technology to uh, aim toward the skies to uh, try to find UFOs flying around, but uh, we shall see. And speaking of cryptids... We shall uh, now dive into cryptid news for the week, and uh, we're going to go to Australia. So pack your bags, make sure you got your passport. We're going to head to Australia, which you probably know where I'm going with that. It's uh, been in the news for weeks. Uh, We've talked about it, I don't know how many times, uh, over the course of the last year, year and a half. Uh, It was a big story back in March of this year, as well as in September of 2021, and uh, unfortunately, September 2021 uh, was the sad 85th anniversary of the last known living thylacine that died at the Hobart Zoo in Tasmania. So, of course, we're talking about the thylacine, not the Yowie, Diocene. Now, uh, there is Yowie news out there. Supposedly, some guy saw a 12 foot Yowie, but uh, it's got nothing to back it up except for a photograph. It looks, uh, it's it's just, it's just trees. It's just trees. Uh, it, I get let down every time I see somebody has evidence of a Bigfoot or a Yowie or Yaron or whatever, wherever they're at. And it's just light and shadow. It's pareidolia. Uh, it's light and shadow. They never see it when they take the picture. They always see it when they're, you know, looking at the pictures days later or hours later, away from there. And if they were to go back same time of day and take the same picture in the same location, they'd probably see the same shadow. But they're not going to do that because then that would negate their story. Anyway, back to the thylacine. Uh, caused uh, some international attention a few weeks ago. Uh, kind of just happened right after my last show. And I kind of sidestepped it because we've already talked about it. This isn't new news. It seems like we talk about it every few months. It hits the news cycle. Uh, about bringing the Tasmanian tiger back from extinction. I I couldn't tell you, we've probably talked about it on this show maybe 10 times the last five, six years, and every time they talk about it, they always say it's going to be 10 years. So it's been 10 years, like five years ago. So we should only be at five years at this point, but uh, they're making some really good strides toward bringing back the Tasmanian tiger as well as some other creatures uh, the Dallas-based colossal Biosciences is uh, kind of leading the way they they're pledging to bring back the Tasmanian tiger. Uh, they state they have 50 scientists and about 15 million dollars devoted to the project and uh, project to have the marsupials running around within the next 10 years. But again, we've heard that same thing uh, probably for almost 10 years at this point but um, and the last time we talked about this back in March, uh, they do have uh, they have sequenced the DNA for this. So it's, it's not like it's Jurassic Park or Jurassic World where you're going to have to uh, patchwork DNA, which doesn't work, by the way. It's not how science works. You can't just insert frog DNA and just hope everything turns out okay. Um, it's not how it works, but makes for a good movie. Uh, but in reality, it wouldn't work. Uh, But uh, one of the latest things that's causing a little controversy other than the fact that maybe they should concentrate on preservation instead of bringing back extinct animals that we've already killed off for different reasons uh, is the uh, fact that they're using uh, campaigns with what they're calling scientific influencers who are approached to uh, get paid to endorse the project. Uh, granted, they have to sign non disclosure agreements first. And uh, not everybody thinks this is a good idea, nor is it thought to be a good idea by many. Um, you know, obviously, influencers uh, influence, they make people believe what they believe. Um, so you get, you know, obviously, these stars, these basketball players that are telling us who to vote for and um, what's right and wrong in our society. You know, these people that are making $30, $40 million a year living in their mansion that don't really – they're disconnected so far from reality. Uh, I don't know why we listen to these people. But, uh, yeah, there's a few famous people, some people that are not really scientists. They're more or less movie stars or actors or um, – there's a few scientists that are involved in this project. But to me, its its it's kind of shady. You're just trying to convince people to uh, donate money to a project that uh, I, I don't really see. You know, I'm excited. I'd love to see scenes running around. I'd like to see them at a zoo. I think that would be exciting. But, you know, again, at what cost? Is that really the right thing to do? Does that make up for what we've done? Killing these things off because we felt uh, threatened by them, thinking that they're killing livestock when they really weren't. Um, took away other land. And uh, just, just kill these animals off for sport. You uh, can't make up for that. You know, and uh, they had their time. Things have moved on. Is bringing them back going to reestablish Tasmanian, uh, the ecosystem? I mean, it's not really that upside down. Um, but yeah, spending this money and effort on a de-extinction program, is that really a good idea? Or should we be... Trying to save the existing creatures that uh, are on the brink of extinction. Instead, I, I, think, I think that's the smarter thing. If we could spend fifteen million dollars on the, uh, you know, on Tasmania, maybe removing some of the uh, species of animals that are running around that are causing damage that shouldn't be there, or to nurture those that are there that are impacted by Uh, Human behavior so I don't know we'll see again it would be cool to see him but again at what cost for for science I'm not sure Uh, but uh, either way while some people think that uh, the Tasmanian tiger can only be brought back by science a lot of people still think the uh, thylacine is alive and well running around Uh, even on the mainland of Australia which Every time I read the story I just kind of I beat beat my head on the desk I don't so Australia has been devoid of the thylacine or the Tasmanian tiger for thousands of years not not decades not 100 years 200 thousands the chance of them finding A thylacine on the mainland of Australia is pretty much impossible. But uh, yet we still get these stories. Uh, And earlier this month, footage was taken of a strange-looking creature while a family was uh, walking in the Belair National Park in South Australia, which is okay. That's still in the direction of Tasmania. Uh, But uh, Tasmanian tiger, hence Tasmania – mainly found in Tasmania. Now, historically, yes, they were found on the mainland of Australia, but they've been uh, basically extirpated. So they've been locally extinct on Australia for thousands of years. So not, not probably not going to find one running around. Uh, Jessie Mildry was uh, walking in the park with her son and her sister, When the trio saw a strange creature and Jesse said of the encounter, quote, we saw this thing starting to move across the road. And to start with, it's a bit strange. You sort of go through a bit of thought process in your head. And it's like, oh, that's a bit of a weird looking kangaroo. Then I thought it's a really scraggly looking dog. But then it got a little closer to us. And I thought, no, that's not a dog either. It had a really weird gait to it, sort of lolloping, almost movement, unquote. So uh, strange uh, movement behavior, uh, which, you know, if you've seen the video of the thylacine, Tasmanian tiger, the old school uh, black and white stuff, uh, they do have a weird way that they uh, kind of move around. Uh, but it doesn't sound like that's what they're describing In this and when they described it and I looked at the picture of this creature which uh, I've put in the uh, chat room so if you're listening live I appreciate that I uh, love live listeners love doing the show live used to record the show for years uh, but live radio is far better I think far far better but uh, you, if you tune into the chat room you get this extra extra dimension of actual pictures that I'm talking about granted you could you could always Google this stuff uh, when I'm talking about the Belair um, creature. So this creature looks a little weird. Doesn't seem to have a whole lot of fur on it. Looks uh, maybe like an anteater with the head. Looks a little strange. So I can see why somebody would not initially uh, understand what they're looking at. Uh, Jessie also stated that her sister felt it was a Tasmanian tiger or thylacine. And that others on a Facebook community page, of course, that's where you should always get your, uh, you know, your scientific, uh, you know, influence and uh, uh, information from, because you know Facebook is just full of scientists, uh, people who can disseminate photographs uh, with very, very high accuracy, and of course, you know, objective, not not subjective, not just uh, knee-jerk reactions at all. So, Facebook community page. Greatest place you can go. And, of course, I I don't really feel that way. Just trying to be funny. But uh, uh, they had seen – people had said they'd seen strange things in the park as well. Uh, Tasmanian wildlife biologist and honorary curator of vertebrate zoology at the Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery, Nick Mooney, stated that after viewing the footage, he states it depicts nothing more – than a fox with severe mange. Now, that's unfortunate. A lot of people think that um, Nick Mooney is like the absolute biggest skeptic towards the thylacine, but he is, you know, he's open-minded. He wants to uh, believe that these things are out here, but all these videos and photographs and and things that constantly pop up where people just automatically jump to that conclusion, it's, it's really annoying. And uh, he's... You know, he, while he wants this to actually occur, he's not just going to sit back and let people make this claim when there's obviously more to it than that. And uh, looking at the picture, uh, I would have to agree that obviously, whatever creature this really truly is, is suffering from mange. And most people in this part of the country, if they're not used to being. I'm uh, not in this park a lot. Probably have not even seen a regular fox that much, let alone a fox with mange. Uh, I've seen some fox with even partial mange. And at first, they're kind of hard to really figure out what you're looking at. So I can't imagine uh, seeing a, a fox with complete mange like that, severe mange. This poor animal is probably no longer with us at this point, but um, kind of fool you. Kind of full of senses uh, when you're looking at something with no hair, something that you're used to seeing. And again, uh, fox aren't that prevalent in different parts of Australia. Uh, They were an animal that it seems like it's the theme of the show uh, when I'm going through the stories in my mind here that uh, introduced animals. Uh, So Australia is like really bad with that. A lot of animals were introduced. Uh, caused the downfall of the uh, thylacine with uh, other animals that were introduced. Um, but yeah, this is, I would agree. This is a fox with mange, uh, not Tasmanian tiger. Doesn't even have hardly any of the hallmarks of a Tasmanian tiger at all. Uh, but uh, of course, you know, a lot of people would say no that uh, they've seen strange things. Uh, Mooney added, uh, he does say that it, quote, it's got all the hallmarks of a fox with mange. It's uh, lost a lot of hair off its tail. And it's uh, got very large ears like a fox. Uh, The movement when scooting off to the left is a quick walking, breaking immediately into a trot exactly like small canines and cats do. It's very unlike any marsupial I know, uh, including the walking phylocine in the old movie. Uh, I've seen a number of these sorts of videos and they're usually filmed with a phone. So they're not the definition, not excellent, unquote. So yes, while we all have technology in our pockets to film things, it's usually not the best. Uh, your camera phones are meant for uh, selfies and close photographs of people in uh, different lighting conditions, not for animals out in a field. And um, this actually is from a video, I believe. So the video was filmed and turned in. So certainly there's EXIF data attached to the video, probably take it from an iPhone. Uh, So I'm certain that, uh, I mean, you're not going to get that from a news story. You're not going to be able to extract EXIF data. I would have to have the... The original, but I'm sure that um, I would hope that anybody that would post this story would have looked at that information. Um, Yes, and like I said, uh, despite being a skeptic toward the discovery of the thylacine in the wild, uh, Mooney is backed up with science. It's documented that the carnivorous marsupial went extinct on the mainland anywhere from 2,000 to 4,000 years ago. And the last living ones were hunted into extinction, of course, along with habitat loss, the introduction of disease, and competing animals in Tasmania. And it disappeared in the 1930s, uh, pretty much at the same time that they realized that uh, these animals were worth saving. But uh, too little too late. Uh, you know, once these animals are teetering on extinction, uh, there's really not a whole lot you can do. And uh, that's pretty much where they're at. Uh, if there's anything left, uh, they're probably gone by now. So a lot of hopeful thinking, a lot of wishful thinking, a lot of uh, videos and photograph and trail cameras, but uh, nothing conclusive. So I think our best bet at this point is to wait another nine or ten years to see if uh, science can bring these guys back. Uh, but of course, they're going to be trapped in zoos. They're not going to let these things loose in the wild. I I don't know how you would do that anyway. Um, So yeah, it's just all a ploy. It's just all a money, money grab for these people uh, to talk about bringing back the thylacine. Uh, But uh, you know, as skeptical as Mooney sounds, he doesn't want people to stop looking for the thylacine. Uh, He states, quote, just because I have an opinion that it's not a thylacine, I would tell people, don't let that hold you back. Go and try and get some better pictures. Unquote. Uh, use something other than an iPhone. Uh, he also feels that despite the massive effort to bring back the thylacine from extinction, the, quote, talent and intellect and money will be much better off spent conserving species that look like they're going to go extinct, unquote. So, uh, you know, he pretty much echoes what a lot of other people have said. And uh, there's a lot of animals that... Uh, We have uh, really caused a a lot of issues for. I see in the chat room the tiger closing in on extinction, of course. And one of the reasons for that is because we have separated these uh, animals from other breeding groups. And when you do that, uh, you can look at uh, here in the United States, we've got the uh, Florida panther. There's so few of them that they're inbreeding, which is causing disease, it's causing um, you know, these creatures to just not be able to live because of the inbreeding. They've in, tried to introduce, um, mountain lion DNA from out West to try to save them. Uh, but even when they do that, uh, these animals are being hit by cars. Uh, same thing with tigers. Tigers are running out of real estate. Uh, these animals need a lot of room to roam and they're end up, uh, entering into, uh, Residential areas in India and Africa where, you know, they're readily hunted because they're, hey, we can't have them in our neighborhood. Uh, We love them, but not in my neighborhood. Uh, So they're being hunted off because of the expansion. And it's sad to know that there are more tigers living in the United States in captivity than there are in the wild. Uh, That's true. And that's very sad. Um, But... You know, we got to do what we got to do. We have to figure out how we can coexist with these animals and and allow them to have their breeding areas and to fully function. Uh, You know, like I said, we have the Florida panther and, you know, people are panicking about the the regular mountain lions all the time. Uh, They will not let them reestablish themselves here in the eastern United States. Uh, they want to get rid of them out west at the same time, instead of just allowing them to uh, flourish. And if you let them flourish, they'll hit their own boundaries. Uh, they'll they'll hit a point where, okay, enough, enough mountain lines. There's enough in these areas. Uh, they're animals. You know, nature has a way of taking care of these things, uh, but we think that we're smarter than nature. And so we've caused a lot of problems when we try to overthrow nature. Well, I just feel like I'm like uh, complaining about everything, but uh, it's true. It's true. And let's see. What else we got? Uh, we got the Loch Ness Monster. Believe it or not, yes, the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, we'll go back to uh, – we'll talk more about animals. Should have kept going with that, but – Yeah, we'll talk more about animals being in the wrong spots here in a second. But I do have a Loch Ness monster story I want to talk about real quick. Uh, It's been a really quiet year, and I I know a lot of people don't like the Loch Ness monster. I think it's funny uh, because science is pretty much – you talk about any animal, any cryptid in existence. the Loch Ness monster has been pretty much torn apart. Um. By science, uh, you know, uh, they uh, did—Neil Gemmel did uh, the—from Otago University. Uh, Speaking of Tasmania—I'm sorry, no, he's uh, New New Zealand, Otago University. Uh, They took water samples from throughout Loch Ness at varying depths, all up and down, and they found no DNA. Uh, So they took eDNA from the water samples, found no large creatures that could explain the Loch Ness monster. And, of course, the headline— the headlines were about giant eels, which really made no sense at all. It's not a giant eel. Uh, but despite all these uh, things with science saying, no, there's no creature, no one spotted anything. And the fact that uh, there's legitimately documents that prove that in the 1930s, hotel owners pushed the story of the Loch Ness Monster in order to bring more people out. Uh, so the this, this story is just garbage I mean, it's been noted but uh, people still want to believe and as long as people still believe in this creature uh you could just Loch ness and uh, let it be empty for decades and fill it back up and people will still see it they'll still swear it's still around um but uh, it's not it's been a pretty quiet year this year for the Loch ness monster so far for 2022 only four official sightings uh and no webcam sightings according to the official Loch Ness Monster sightings register operated by Gary Campbell. So in 2021, uh, Gary separated the webcam sightings from the physically present sightings. Uh, Since a lot of people were observing from home, obviously this was around uh, COVID 2020, uh, there were still travel restrictions in place the following year. So he uh, made the smart decision to separate the webcam sightings from the uh, in-person sightings. Uh, So in 2021, there were six official sightings, along with 10 webcam sightings. Uh, The biggest issue that uh, everyone's always had with these webcam sightings is uh, the webcam sits on a hill about a half mile from the lock. Uh, It's on a hill, a few hundred feet above. So technically, from the water's edge, it's probably probably more than a half mile. uh, Just you just can't see anything. There's no detail. You just see waves. You don't know what's causing it. Uh, anything that's in the water, uh, you can't really make out any detail And it. You know, maybe that's by design. Maybe that's what they want. They want as, as much amb- ambiguity as possible. Uh, in the camera itself, you know, you're see people talk about, uh, potato cameras. Oh, this is, this is like a carrot. It's not even a potato, a horrible camera. Um, yeah, it's just blurry. It's it's distant. It's like on the moon, looking at uh, the the countryside there in Scotland. Uh, so many of the sightings are just interpretations, basically, of pixels. Um, what was it uh, last year? We had uh, the stand-up paddleboarders that were uh, seen, and uh, you know the I forget who uh, probably you know Fadigan said that they were. It was definitely a Loch Ness monster. It was not paddleboarders. Uh, these paddleboarders had photographs um, taken with uh, waterproof cameras that were far better than that webcam sitting up on the hill, uh, proving that they were actually there. So we, now we have a solution for all this. Kind of excited, kind of not excited, because now we're going to have even more webcam sightings. Uh, but maybe we'll start to see uh, some, maybe some more logical explanations for these things. Uh, visit Inverness Loch Ness has now added five new cameras covering various parts of Loch Ness to help aid in, the, in potentially finding the elusive creature. I don't think it's going to help, but uh, we'll see some ducks. Might see some deer swimming across the loch. Uh, we're going to see definitely some wind creating uh, some weird waves that people will definitely claim is the Loch Ness monster. Uh, the cameras are, uh, interestingly, they're located at hotels and lodges. So there's some good advertising. Uh, So, you know, there's advertising and you get to see the views. You know, Part of me thinks that if you're showing the view, do I really need to go there? Because I can just sit at home and watch on the camera, save a lot of money on travel. But uh, they're hoping that this is going to bring more people out uh, to travel. And, of course, we always mention every time about how much uh, the Loch Ness Monster brings in millions of dollars. And local economy. So whether it's real or not. It doesn't matter. It's the belief in the Loch Ness Monster. That brings people out. And they stay. For the beautiful views. And the lovely weather. Not really. Uh, it's like uh, it's like going to London. It's always raining. Um, the cameras again. Hotels and lodges surrounding the loch. Uh, they seem to be pretty decent. Uh, I've actually not seen them during the day. But they have. Uh, you can see like a screen cap of them. Uh, The views are pretty good on a couple of them. Uh, A couple others are, again, very far from the water uh, because of where the lodges or hotels are located. Uh, There's another camera. So they actually added six. So the news stories only talk about five because five are covering water. Uh, There is one showing uh, landscape and sky, which is kind of excited about that one uh, because it might enable the viewer to see uh, red deer or possibly the northern lights in the fall and winter, uh, so you can check out the website. Visit com one word, and click on the things to do tab at the top, and then you can uh, go down to, uh, live cameras. It's like there's only two options. Go to live cameras, and you'll see all the cameras. Uh, so it's you know eight thirty p.m. Eastern. Uh, it's going to be dark. It'll be dark time out there, so you probably have to wait. Uh, what about? Uh, on two in the morning, probably start sunrise out there, so you can start watching tomorrow morning. if You got the time, but um, yeah, people believe all sorts of weird stuff about the depth of Loch Ness. Uh, there is rumors of cave systems, but it's really caves is a. Uh, it's kind of a uh, kind of false description. It's more or less just. Uh, holes, not really caves, because caves would indicate that you could travel and hide, you know, like a dragon would hide in a cave, but, uh, you know, it's just holes underneath. But, uh, yeah, you're not going to get a whole lot of oxygen down there because of the the way that water, full of peat, uh, most fish have a hard enough time breathing in that water anyway. But uh, that's why there's very few uh, diverse types of fish that are in the lock. And uh, very highly doubtful that there's any large creature swimming around. Again, we have the environmental DNA to study to prove it. But uh, the jury's out. Everyone believes, as long as people believe, the Loch Ness Monster will always exist in the minds of people that uh, see it. So back to strange animals other than uh, the Loch Ness Monster. So when I'm... Doing uh, presentations or talking about cryptids or uh, at a Bigfoot festival or, or something. Uh, one of the biggest topics, uh, probably even on social media too, that I see uh, outside of the Bigfoot topic. Uh, it's not always, it's not always Bigfoot. So in cryptozoology, probably one of the biggest ones that people talk about, especially when they go to these uh, conferences, conventions. I started doing. Uh, one on large cats, and people just lose their minds because every single person at a paranormal conference either has or knows someone who has seen a Black Panther roaming the countryside somewhere, whether it's Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, Canada. Uh, see, I've been in Virginia, so New York. I've, I've heard stories from all over state every state I've been in pretty much should have talked about large cats people always see black panthers and you don't have to look too far to see that uh, there's a pretty big influence on that uh, We've got this uh, NFL team, Carolina Panthers they've got a Black Panther as a as a mascot as a logo I guess would be more precise you know we don't care about that team they're going to get crushed by the browns anyway baker mayfield come on get together um but black panthers you see all the high schools uh, college teams black panthers are part of the culture in the south and even in the east of the united states so there's some sort of belief there's some sort of cultural um i'm going to call it a stigma but it kind of a uh, kind of a deep-rooted cultural belief that these creatures are around, even though, again, not to bring up the S-word, but science would say otherwise. Uh, but uh, I, I can't I can't travel, I can't talk to more than one or two people before somebody comes up with a story. No, 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 I've seen one. I've seen a Black Panther. Um, yeah, it's just, you don't have to look too far. You just drive around, and you look up Black Panther logos and, You know, again, Carolina, um, yeah, the hockey team, but that's a different, that's a Florida Panther. That's just a regular Panther, but uh, you've got them all over the place down there. It's it's just kind of amazing that there's such a belief system in Black Panthers. However, uh, despite all these sightings, people showing webcams and uh, photographs and videos, uh, most of those are hoax, fakes. Uh, A lot of them are of a known Black Panther from Africa named Cole, who is pretty famous from all these pictures, and supposedly everywhere from Michigan to Florida and everywhere else in between. Uh, But, again, you know, we don't really get to see any good evidence. That is until August 13th. It's all changed. On the morning of August 13th, Dakota Stebbings, a Traverse City photographer, was completing an assignment of taking photographs of the Drew Kostick Memorial 5K Tough Run when he was distracted by a large black cat near the race course. Uh, he commented to M Live, "Quote: As I was setting up my camera for a large group shot, I noticed a black, a large black animal come into the frame." I instinctively took five photos, trying to find the right focus for my group shot. I then watched the animal for another 25 seconds or so before it clicked in my mind what I was even looking at. I watched it prowl low to the ground and sniff around as if it was trying to catch a scent. I then noticed the muscles along this cat's legs, and the tail sway slightly. As the cat made its way to the other side of the trees with its ears pinned I released a long-held breath, unquote. Sounds like he's a writer, not a photographer. Um, yeah, I'll get to that question. That's I figured that question would come up about pumas. Um, let me throw that uh, photograph. Got a photograph of that in there. Um, so we, there's only two photographs that we've seen. This is one of them. So it's raining out. I don't know the distance. Uh, from where he was sitting to where the uh, photo was taken. Uh, we don't know uh, So we don't know the distance. We don't, don't know the height. And obviously the tree that we see between us and that cat uh, doesn't really offer us any perspective. So the problem with this picture right away, as soon as you look at it, uh, there's no perspective. You cannot tell how large that cat is. And uh, first glance, when I first saw it, I saw it on my phone, and you really can't get a whole lot of detail. The thing that jumped out to me, this picture versus the other picture, there's a better view of that tail. That tail looks long and sweeping, but when I first saw it, I realized that tail is actually not long enough to be a leopard or jaguar or a black panther, which is one of those two cats. And also that head. It's not the head of either one of those cats. So I kind of mentally discounted it uh, as soon as I read the story. Uh, Stebbins notified the event's organizers and then finished his assignment. He eventually helped the Michigan Department of Natural Resources in their investigation. And, of course, that investigation ruled that the cat was nothing more than a domestic house cat. And, again, I mentioned it was raining, and the cat's walking through Mud and you can see water on the ground. You'd have to be able to lift some obvious prints, but nowhere, nowhere. I went to uh, Michigan Department of Natural Resources website. I went to uh, their social media outlets. I, I uh, messaged them on Twitter. I got no response. You know, I want to see pictures of. You know, you had to have taken measurements of these uh, footprints with uh, you know an L square, so you can see how long and how wide they, these, these cat prints are just to verify. I'm not, I'm not arguing that this is definitely a Black Panther because I don't think it is, but where's the evidence that uh, could put it to bet? That's all I'm worried about. Um, but they concluded domestic house cat. And I, I hope it's not just from their observation. See it here in Ohio too. They're really lazy. Um, they just will look at this stuff and just make a, you know, basic observation and say, eh, no, they won't come out unless there's uh, a dead animal uh, or, uh, you know, threat to, to uh, life or, uh, or animals. You know, if they can validate that uh, a large animal, a large cat has uh, taken down a sheep or a horse or something like that, then they'll come out. Or if you can validate through a, uh, a track. But I don't see why they could not have lifted prints from them. That's textbook. It's the easiest way to get a track uh, during, that, uh, during a rain right there. You could definitely put it to bed. Um, the Michigan Department of Natural Resources is not a stranger to reports of cougar sightings, which is uh, – it, it actually acknowledges, which is one of the few states that do. Uh, they acknowledge that there are mountain lion sightings or cougar sightings or puma sightings catamount sightings there's hundreds of names for mountain lions uh technically it's a puma not the cool shoes and hoodies and stuff but uh, the animal um they've been observed in nature uh here on cameras for uh, pretty much i think 2008 i know 2008 was a huge time here in ohio Ah, uh, so since two thousand and eight, there's been eighty documented sightings. Now, that's exciting, but uh, the downside to this is that uh, not only do they recognize that these are actual mountain lions sometimes going through, uh, but they're actually only males roaming from the west. Uh, so these males eventually uh, either make their way back west or they just uh, live in solitude, and they're not uh, they're not breeding. So they just die off or get hit by cars or shot uh, or just wander around and maybe they make their way back west. Uh, these young cats they usually get into trouble, uh, but we've not seen as many in the last few years. Part of that is because the the Black Hills of South Dakota, which is the closest area uh, to the closest breeding area closest to the east uh they're hunting these cats uh, pretty much into oblivion they they uh Anytime they get out of the area, they just, they just, uh, uh, it's the, the three S's the shoot, shovel, and shut up uh, method of, of uh, taking care of this issue. Uh, because if, uh, you know, mountain lions get a, a stronghold in any state uh, outside of, um, you know, out west like that, in let's say Michigan, there's a breeding pair. Oh boy. Then you start uh, conservation. You have to do, uh, pass laws. You have to, restrict things people won't be able to go hiking in certain spots and then of course people are gonna freak out because oh my gosh there's a mountain lions gonna eat my kid Um, which i I guess could happen but um they don't like people now black back to the uh black cat situation so cougars mountain lions pumas whatever you want to call them and the problem is that people also call them panthers so you have the Florida panther. And I think that complicates things uh, because then people hear the word panther and they automatically, your, your mind goes to black panther. But pumas, uh, mountain lions, whatever you want to call them, have never appeared melanistic in the wild. And I, every time I say that, I hear groans and people throw stuff at me. And they say, that's not true. Well, I saw one in 86 uh, here or there or whatever. And so-and-so saw one. Um you didn't. Uh, they've never been observed in nature or captivity. Uh, they do have the genetics, but, uh, the switch for them to actually, uh, appear melanistic would be probably a billion to one. It would have to be an, almost an accident. Like I shouldn't even say a billion to one. It's probably way higher than that. Uh, probably never happened. Uh, despite stories, despite, uh, purported photographs of, uh, black mountain lions. They just don't exist. Uh, people have been trying to mess with uh, DNA to uh, make them breed like that. They still can't even do that. Uh, so they don't exist. Now, a lot of people do see mountain lions in the wild and they look a lot darker uh, due to their, the way their hair structure is. Uh, even though they have uh, white hairs mixed in with that tawny, sometimes they can appear black If the sun is behind them, and they do that on purpose, Um, they're pretty smart cats. Uh, So they they kind of of disguise themselves uh, and appear darker than what they really are by the way they uh, put themselves between you and uh, the light source. So they can't appear as though they're a lot darker. And if you look at uh, skin tones, especially in Florida, uh, they're a darker gray, but not black. Versus uh, you go to uh, South America, Central America, all the way up into uh, Alaska. They're, you know, the tawny, like a tawny, like the uh, brownish, light brownish color. But uh, they they can get a little darker from a reddish grayish, but uh, never black. So the only melanistic large cats are the leopard and jaguar. When uh, in their black melanistic forms collectively are known as black panthers uh, it's the same thing with uh, lions and tigers. They'd never appear melanistic; they just can't. Um, despite photographs, and we've seen fake pictures of black lions, it's, they just don't—they don't exist. Um, the jaguar is native to the Americas and uh, extremely rare in melanistic form. Uh, the leopard—you'd have—it uh, depends on where you're getting your information from. So the leopard is a little higher. I've seen it as high as 14 percent of them can appear uh, melanistic versus like nine to 10 percent of the jaguar. And the reason why they appear melanistic, they're generally melanistic in dark, heavier tropical regions where there's heavy tree canopy and the um, the floor of the uh, forest, the jungle is is more dark. So they, they, you know, if they were a brighter color, a tawny color, even with their Rosettes, their spots, uh, they'd stick out like a sore thumb. So they just don't turn black. It's uh, it's a process, and not every um, cat comes out melanistic just because it lives in the darkness. And it's really unfortunate that uh, we see these melanistic cats in zoos and photographs, but they're extremely rare. Uh, There are probably more of them in captivity than in the wild. Uh, They're pretty rare to be seen in the wild. I think the uh, first one ever seen in Africa was uh, 2019. It had been 20 some odd years, I think, between spotting an actual black panther. So they're very, very rare. Um, So while a jaguar is native to the Americas, um, they don't really live in the United States. There is a breeding area in Mexico. I think it's about uh, 100 some odd miles from the border. And they got to have a passport to get in the United States. And they have to climb the wall, too. So that's why you don't see them. No, that's not true. Uh, There has been, uh, I think, two documented Jaguars. Uh, The last one uh, is nicknamed El Jefe. Pretty big Jaguar. But it's it's not the uh, Black Panther type. It's the normal tawny and black coat with the rosettes, the little kind of circles with the dark spots on it. So that's really what you normally would see with a leopard and jaguar. And a jaguar uh, is a little more stocky, a little bit more robust, uh, bulky uh, versus a leopard. A leopard is more skinny, would represent more of what's in this photograph, what, the, what this uh, gentleman took. Uh, a skinnier, long, thinner, more like a uh, – eh, I guess you'd say like a cheetah kind of body structure. Although they're a little bit skinnier. Um, but yeah, it's neither one of these. If you look at the uh, profile of a jaguar and a leopard, it's definitely not that black cat that he took a photograph of. But nonetheless, uh, there is uh, a little concern. I haven't heard much lately since the story broke. Uh, Nobody spotted this thing. It's probably just a big house cat. Uh, a lot of feral cats all over the U.S. And... You're not used to seeing them. And again, there's no perspective in this photograph. So, of course, this guy probably doesn't get out much, doesn't see, you know, animals. Uh, I don't know. I shouldn't be judging. But uh, maybe he just misinterpreted what he saw. But I uh, still like to see the tracks to that. And speaking of wild animals on the loose, uh, large cats on the loose, Hawaii has been dealing with a large cat sighting. It's... Uh, yeah, one of your traditional tawny colored cats. They're not sure what it is, but a guy was out weed whacking one day and uh, he thought it was a large dog. And um, it's on the, uh, it's on the, the big islands. It's on Hawaii on the Kona coast there on the west coast of the big island. Um, a few people have seen this. This guy was out trimming his weeds. And he saw this large creature. I uh, grabbed his rifle, and he fired a round. And he said that the creature jumped six feet in the air, which uh, kind of flipped him out a little bit. Uh, the animal scampered off, apparently. But uh, they're not happy about this. Um, Hawaii's Department of Natural of Land and Natural Resources. Uh, they're setting up cameras in the area. Uh, this has been going on since uh, August 16th, and I've not heard anything. Since then, which is not good, uh, The probably the longer the time goes by, this cat's not going to stick around, probably, unless it's a, well, more or less, it's probably a uh, released cat. It might have escaped, uh, although Hawaii, they're pretty strict on that stuff. Um, they're prohibited in Hawaii. Um, you're not going to get, I mean, it's uh, supposedly prohibited everywhere in the United States but to uh, to transport that would be pretty difficult into Hawaii I would think Uh, but you release a cat like that on the mainland or any of these islands it's just going to cause all sorts of problems unfortunately uh, Hawaii has a long-standing tradition of releasing animals on their islands that shouldn't be there from deer to wolverines to mice to rats to gosh wallabies are out there on uh, one of the islands. All sorts of animals just accidentally or purposely released for one reason or another that are just wreaking havoc uh, on the ecosystems. But uh, having a large cat running around, obviously somebody either let it loose or it got loose, and that's not good. Um, puts people at risk. An animal like that uh, probably won't survive very long if it's uh you know trimmed its nails or anything like that or it's not used to hunting and it could make its way closer to people if it's been around people Uh, but again no update on this maybe it was just a dog maybe it was just a large house cat Uh, hawaii in addition to all the other animals i mentioned they have a ginormous feral cat problem Uh, they used to have a feral dog problem but um yeah, I guess Hawaiians used to eat dogs, so they kind of took care of that on their own. But um, the feral cat problem is out of control, and um, that could be what we're seeing. Uh, these cats have no natural predators, so they are going to grow a little bit bigger. Granted, they're on a eh, its a decent-sized island, but a lot of stuff to eat, so I'm sure they're going to grow pretty big. So hopefully that's all they're seeing. Uh, again, no tracks to speak of, so... Ah, uh, we'll we shall see it, but it's been so long that uh, we've not seen it. So, eh, the longer you go, the less likely you are to to spot something like that. Something that was released, potentially I don't want to call it domesticated, but uh, captured, locked up, and we'll uh, finish the news tonight talking about probably one of the saddest subjects. Oh, the last three weeks, very upset. I kind of knew it was going to happen. I got up on Monday morning already knowing this was going to happen. Uh, the Artemis One launch, supposed to take place Monday morning at 8.33 a.m. Eastern Time, it was scrubbed. And I kind of had a feeling they had—I uh, was up late the night before, and they were, they were talking about delaying filling up the tanks. And I was like, well, that's not a good idea, that you're just going to run into problems but I got up in the morning anyway, and sure enough, they ran into problems. Uh, they had some weather issues, uh, but the big thing had been um, the, the number three engine. They weren't able to properly cool it prior to ignition, which um, I listened to the uh, – the uh, what do you call it? The uh, press press audio from uh, – they had a meeting. At, it was supposed to be at 6, but it was like 6.20. I had to wait. Um the, one of the engineers likened it to uh, a dragster or a, a race car. So when you get into a race car, you just don't start the engine and start driving around the track or fly down the drag strip. Uh, you have to get your engine warmed up and uh, at the correct temperature for it to operate at peak condition. And with – obviously, it's not an internal combustion engine, but it's a, a rocket, which is basically a controlled explosion – Which propels this rocket to uh, 12,000 miles an hour plus to get it away from Earth's gravity. And no, it doesn't go straight up. I never understood. I I see people like, well, why is that rocket going crooked? It should go straight up to get out of it. No, it's not how it works. Yes, gravity, but no, the Earth is spinning. It's the best way for it to uh, get away from Earth's gravity. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that uh, detail, but... Yeah, they had some some issues, and I guess it's probably better off than having the uh, third engine explode and blowing that whole thing to kingdom come because that would not have looked good. Uh, but even if they knew something was wrong, I already felt like they were gonna they're gonna roll that thing out there to the uh, launch pad anyway because uh, it's been so much money, so much time, and uh, people are just. There's no incentive right now because it's not like we're in a space race. We're not uh, first people to get to the moon. We've already been there. But it, it's just for science sake pretty much at this point. And Politicians and people who write paychecks don't care about five, ten years down the road or if the launch is delayed for three weeks. They want results now. Um, but uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to wait a few more days. Uh, the next launch window, they've opted for Saturday. Initially, they said Friday. Uh, But if the rocket needs substantial work, they'll move the stack back to uh, the vehicle assembly building, which will take three and a half days traveling at one mile per hour. And I would not be surprised if we heard between now and uh, Friday that they're going to scrub for Saturday and and haul this thing back and uh, redo some of the plumbing for that engine three. But I, I think they've kind of figured it out. It's just a faulty sensor. So they're going to just kind of like, uh, I don't know, lick the tank, I guess, make sure it's cold enough. I'm not sure how that would work. But um, it sounds as if they're pretty fairly sure that there should be a, they said they uh, more than 0% chance, pretty much, is what they're saying for Saturday. So that's pretty positive. Uh, But a lot of it depends on the weather as well. So a lot of people have asked, well, why bother going back to the moon? Uh, We were there 50 years ago. Well, almost 50 years ago, December 19th, 1972. Um, well, we got a lot more to learn. Uh, all the stuff we brought back, uh, we've uh, pretty much tapped it for any knowledge that we can. So if we can go up and collect more samples, we can probably learn a little bit more. Uh, we're also looking to go to a different place than we've been. So potentially some uh, trapped water, some ice on the moon in that area, we'll be able to maybe detect that, which would be fantastic. Uh, so we could ruin the moon. Um, the, uh, yeah, so there's a lot more to to learn. So the Artemis One mission that we're talking about here, uh, it's an unmanned mission. There's basically a, a commander, a dummy that's inside of a, this, the new spacesuit that they're going to be using to test it out. And there's two uh, torso dummies that I, I asked to take the place of one of them to go up there, but they won't let me. Um, And then there's a Mickey Mouse thing up there, I think. But, um, yeah, that's just a a test just to make sure everything is going to go okay. Uh, They're going to launch the unmanned crew, the space capsule around the moon and back. Uh, But there's a lot of things that are going to happen with that. So when the the, uh, space vehicle is approaching, the Orion spacecraft is approaching the moon, there's actually some uh, satellites, uh, CubeSats are going to spit out of the front of this thing. And they're going to circle the moon. So the moon's going to have some satellites, which uh, I think China's already got some up there. Russia might have one or two up there. I think we already got some. But these are specifically to aid in the future manned missions. That's going to make our life a little bit easier than what it was in the 60s and 70s. Uh, The moon mission, of course, is also our first step at establishing ourselves in space beyond the International Space Station, which is – On its last legs. It's not going to be around too much longer. And once that's gone, what do we do? Where are we going to go? How are we going to research space? Uh, It's also a first step in going to Mars and eventually beyond. So establishing ourselves on the Moon, uh, you know, maybe it could be a a spaceport or a launching point or a landing point uh, where we would take from there and go to Mars. So we wouldn't just launch off Earth and go to Mars. We may launch, go to the Moon, and then go to Mars which would cut the distance down, uh, be able to open up more windows to, uh, to travel there. Um, and, of course, you know, we could um, dig up all the stuff there on the moon and use those natural resources to maybe fuel up. If we do find water, we can fuel up um, different things to travel even further out into space. Um, of course, with that, too, when we do launch out into space, there's going to be some new technology that's going to be created. Uh, not only to aid space travel and survival but also here on earth you know we haven't updated uh, you know i mentioned the spacesuits we haven't updated spacesuits in like 30 years you know we came out with a cool pen that can write upside down and, and zero gravity and the, the uh, freeze-dried ice cream and all that fun stuff came from space travel so who knows what else we're going to come up with uh, maybe some car technology um some other traveling things you who knows what could uh, come from this technology? And of course, going to the moon is also hopefully going to inspire a new generation of scientists, which is what I'm hopeful for. Um, we need to pass the torch. We need to get people excited about science, about space, uh, because it's uh, you know it's, it seems like it's everyone's worried about their YouTube hits and and their uh, social media followers, and you know how they're influencing other people, but. Um, it's a bigger place, and we need to start thinking about, you know, not in the next 20, 30, 40 years, but uh, decades, generations down the road. You know, if we keep messing up planet Earth, and where are we going to go? But even then, eventually, even if we do take care of the Earth, the sun's going to envelop us, you know, billion or so years down the road. We're not going to be here forever, and it's just kind of in our DNA to travel, to conquer things, to... Uh, Go to new places. Sounds like Star Trek. So, again, they're going to launch hopefully on Saturday, September 3rd. The launch window opens at 2.17 p.m. Eastern. It will last for two hours. We'll just uh, hopefully the weather. And if there's any technological issues, I'm sure that it'll uh, scrub the launch long before that. So... That's all I got for this week. We will have a show next week, but for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. Above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.